Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Uh, tonight we are joined by Sam Rowlands, Member of the Senate for North Wales since 2021, Shadow Minister for Local Government and Welsh Conservative Policy Director. Hello Sam, how are you? Good uh, afternoon, uh, Matt. Very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, Sam. But thanks for coming and speaking to us uh, today. Uh, I'm going to start off with a, you know, a sort of biographical question. What got you first involved in uh, in politics, Sam, and what made you pick the Conservatives? Well, of course, choosing the Conservatives is uh, an easy one. Uh, <laughs> why wouldn't you choose the Conservatives, Matt? Um, absolutely. Um, but why I got involved in the first place um, was um, at this, uh, in my town in, in Abergelly, uh, for North Wales. Um, pretty young uh, once. I think uh, Cameron uh, said that once, didn't he, as well? And um, I was 21 years old, actually, and I uh, decided to run for, for a council election uh, in my local my local ward and um, somehow managed to get uh, get enough votes to, to win. That was all the way back in 2008 and um, just happened to have uh, my local member of the assembly, as it was then, uh, Darren Miller, uh, encourage me uh, to to stand and thought I could um, do a half-decent job. Um, so, yeah, 2008 on the uh, county borough council and town council and then re-elected 2012, uh, 2017, uh, and then uh, made my way down to the Senate in 2021. Uh, um, and I guess from a Conservative point of view, uh, answering your question perhaps a little bit more seriously, I guess it, it's around having personal responsibility. It's probably the thing that settles most with me. You will know the Conservative Party is a pretty broad church. Um, I generally wonder around at the centre ground of the Conservative Party. I, I tend to fall to the right more naturally but I have made decisions when I was when I was leading my council for example and uh, when I was the, um, the cabinet member of finance that weren't particularly conservative like um, raising council tax um, at five percent and beyond that as well so um, fairly pragmatic conservative I would say. You talk about um, your local authority and obviously the leader of Conway council how would you describe the differences between being a a leader of an authority with a multi-million pound budget and then becoming a backbench MS. Do you find that change in power dynamics slightly weird? Definitely different. Um, and it sounds really obvious, um, but the big difference is it's just a lot more political um, being down in the Senate than uh, local authority level. And I think the way that Conway Council in particular was set up, there's never been a, a party a majority there. There's always been coalitions in place of one form um, or another, and usually those coalitions are in place with a group of independents. Now, I think a Conservative Party or a Labour Party is a broad church, then a group of independents is beyond uh, broad. Um, so you're having to sort of manoeuvre um, perhaps uh, some of the decisions you're making with, with those groups of independents, um, which is an interesting uh, challenge. Um, but then... As a leader of a council, um, you're right, really powerful position. Perhaps not many people appreciate um, what leaders of local authorities can and could do. It became very apparent during the pandemic, so that was a fascinating time. Um, so I was you know, leading a council during the pandemic and, and the peak times of the pandemic. And I think governments at all sorts of levels, whether UK or Welsh governments, suddenly realised they don't actually do that much doing um, it's actually councils, um, health boards, um, it's those that level actually does the doing that affects people's um, lives on a day to day. Of course, government sets the agenda and a policy objective, 
but in terms of delivering on the ground, which we needed desperately during COVID, um, it, was, it was organizations like councils who did so much of that work. So I had a slightly unusual view of life of a council leader because um, of the amount that I had to get involved in during that COVID time. Before we move on to the Senate, we're going to stay in local government a little bit. But as you know, a shadow uh, minister for local government and the former leader, you probably have uh, a strong opinion on uh, every Welsh political geek's favourite question of um, local government reform. Has that ever been anything you've found compelling, the argument for reducing the number of local authorities in Wales? Or do you think, you, like you talk about that local delivery, do you think it, that localism is really the value of local government, not what us anoraks think about making it a bit neater? Yeah, I think um, it's a really tricky balance to get right, isn't it? Um, between the sort of what can be seen as an efficiency of larger local authorities versus not losing um, that touch in terms of that local connection with with people. And there's, there's some great examples and some really bad examples on, on both sides of that. So the example I can point to for my patch in North Wales is the reorganisation of the health board. Um, you know, it used to be in three, merged into one, as Betsy Cadwallader. Don't think performed well since that's happened as one large organisation. Some people point to that change as the catalyst for the performance, you know, really going downhill. I'd be in favour, and um, I think it's a, a sensible place, um, is there local authorities who voluntarily want to consider coming together i would have thought any sensible government would um would want to see how that could work um i had that experience when i was in in um in conway myself um i think we were, we were in opposition at the time actually formally as a party then uh, and we we proposed to merge denbyshire and we were willing to do that um i think it was actually alan davis our, our favorite former uh, minister <laughs> uh, who who was the minister at the time and uh, we kind of called his bluff a little bit because we said well we'll merge then if that's something you're you're wanting us to do and uh, it never happened as, as you can tell now but yes. it's an interesting idea if, if if two local authorities or three local authorities look at each other and say well we probably could or should work better as one I think that is the ultimate, surely, in local democracy, in allowing them to do so. Um, so that's probably where I, I sit these days, yeah. So when you obviously talk about being elected to the Senate, you were elected on the North Wales regional list by, I think in the end, it was something like 21 votes over the nearest Clyde Cymru uh, candidate. What was that experience like being on a on a regional list and not really knowing whether you get elected or, or not? And did... Did you feel like you were going to get elected or was it, you know, that that thing that's coming right to the last minute? Well, first of all, it's fantastic to be applied candidate. Um, <laughs> always, always a pleasure to do that. Um, so that was the overwhelming feeling, let's be honest. Um, but no, I, I honestly wasn't expecting um, to to get elected on the day um, because when you look at the arithmetic, what usually happens when a party gains a seat at a constituency level, you either maintain or you lose a seat on the regional level because the way that the maths works on the DeHaan system. So when I saw on the day of the election that we'd won a uh, veil of Cluid, uh, which was previously Labour, um, I thought uh, I wasn't going to get elected on that day. Um, and as we've just alluded to, I was leading the council. I remember sitting down with my chief executive and, and talking about perhaps uh, how the future may look in, in, in the council. Uh, and then lo and behold, that night, um, my agent, who was at the count, gave me a phone call and said, I think you might have been elected here, Sam, because I wasn't even at the count because I thought it wasn't going to happen. And um, yeah, and then about you know, 20 minutes later, he rang me and said, yeah, you've just been elected. 
Um, so, so it was a, a bit of a surprise. And uh, I remember ringing my my wife. Um, it was early hours of the morning and um, and she was fast asleep still. Uh, so I didn't actually get to tell her till the morning uh, that I'd been elected into the Senate. And of course, she was very pleased that her husband was away from home four days a week in Cardiff, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so obviously one of the roles you've taken on um, since coming down to the Senate is is policy director of the Welsh Conservatives. We've talked to a couple of your Welsh Conservative colleagues in the past about what it means to be a, a Welsh Conservative and how it sits, how, how comfortable it sits being both a Welsh and, you know, UK Conservative and how you sort of have to bridge those gaps when there's policy differences. Do you still think there's value in trying to create sort of a delineation between the Welsh and UK Conservative brands and and how difficult is that sometimes when there are policy disagreements? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting line of question, actually. I, something, I think it's something I personally sometimes grapple with, uh, being really honest with you, getting that balance between um, a UK party, uh, which we are, and the vast majority of people, I guess, see that as, as the case, whilst having a Welsh lens over things, because... I'm born and bred in Wales, I'm proud to be from my part of the world, and um, I've never actually moved out of, of Wales. And so that instinctive defence of what it means to be Welsh and um, how it feels here uh, sometimes, without removing myself from the fact that we're part of one of the greatest union of, of countries um, in the world, I, I would say, uh, and we have to keep that really strong um, as well. So on the policy director role, I've been in this post for uh, a few months now. Good time just to review what was our manifesto in 2021 versus what we may want to consider in a, in a future manifesto. What was really interesting, part of what you opened with actually, Matt, was just we're actually in a very different time now um, compared to 2021 for all sorts of reasons, but predominantly because everything was viewed through, through the lens of covid uh, leading up to the last election. So reading the manifestos, I'm sure um, all listeners do this from time to time when they're struggling to sleep, is, <laughs> is actually the, the, the manifestos from 2021 uh, are so um, different to most manifestos. Actually, there's probably a fair bit in there that we need to consider how relevant it all, all still is. And there's one final point on this as well. I, I think part of your question is, is one worth chewing over, um, probably not to be answered today. As Welsh Conservatives, do we see ourselves as Welsh Conservative, Welsh and Conservative in equal balance, or is it Welsh first, then Conservative, or is it Conservative first, then Welsh? Um, a bit of a philosophical point, I guess. Um, like a lot of philosophical things uh, doesn't necessarily have an answer. Um, but I guess that's the thing that we, we shouldn't, we should continue to work through. Uh, again, it's it's an interesting thing. We obviously we have got a general election coming up, and don't worry, we'll that's going to get covered at points during this conversation. But in terms of creating uh, liaising with uh, your UK Conservative colleagues, what extent are the Welsh Conservatives inputting on devolved areas or constitutional areas with the uh, with the UK Party? Um, yeah, so there's. Discussions. Um, I I link up with the uh, the team in number ten and um, the policy team there, and they have um, specific um, devolved policy team in, in number ten as well. It's worth remembering that we have 
um, not just the Secretary of State for Wales sat around the cabinet table. We have the PPS, the Prime Minister, uh, with a constituency here in Wales under Craig Williams. The Chief Whip, which is probably, if you're Prime Minister, is probably the most important person to have alongside you, uh, especially these days, it seems, uh, <laughs> is also from a constituency uh, here in Wales. So it's not as though those making the biggest decisions aren't surrounded by people who would probably have a decent amount of influence on perhaps where the decisions are, are, are being made. Um, so speaking of, of Welsh Conservatives in, in, in Westminster, I mean, Welsh, former Welsh Conservative leader, Lord Bourne, made some comments recently saying that he no longer recognises his party. What was your assessment of those statements? And do you think that the party has changed and do you think that's been done dramatically or do you think it's just a natural evolution of our political era like you said things have changed drastically in the last few years since COVID I think our entire political discourse has do you think this is just part of that broader change um I think there was a significant change in in the way uh, things were presented and and debated I guess I feel like under Rishi Sunak things have been brought more central in terms of the way you'd expect a prime minister um, to lead a country. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, what Lord Bourne was referring to was, wasn't was the current leadership of the Conservative Party, but perhaps some excitement about uh, others who have, have led or been involved in leading the party in the past. So I think where we are today, I'm really comfortable with. Um, I've, as I say, uh, at the start of this, I've been involved one way or another, uh, elected anyway, at least for 15 years, okay, as a councillor, not a, you know, a, a huge level. Um, and throughout 15 years, I have I always been completely happy with where we, we were as a party? Absolutely not. And, and nobody is in any party, if they've been completely honest, um, through a long period of time. So um, I think, as I say, there's a strength in having a, a broad church as a party, I think it's even bigger strength when we have a prime minister who's bringing us fairly uh, centrally uh, and leading us in a way that prime minister should lead us. So let's let's talk about the prime minister. Obviously, he set out his agenda at the recent uh, Conservative conference. What do you make of that uh, agenda? Obviously, you're going to be very positive, but it, what 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 aspects of it do you think are going to benefit Wales? Uh, and what do you think the chances are for the Welsh Conservative or the Conservatives in the UK and, and Wales? When we do hit that general election, so. um, it's, there's no, no bones about it. It's going to be a, a tough election uh, next year, um, no matter how positive I, I'll, I will be about <laughs> my party. <laughs> um, it's, it's going to be a, a tough election next year. Um, Prime Minister set out his five priorities um, earlier on in the year and um, reiterated those at the conference, also uh, pressed home the point about long-term decision-making. Uh, which I think is important. You mentioned earlier about perhaps a, a generation or a culture of politics that seems to have happened in, in recent times, but there's definitely, in my view, been a short-termism um, to politics generally. Um, I guess it's, it's the advent of 24-hour news cycles and social media probably hasn't helped that short-termism because you're expected to have a decision for everything straight away. Um but no, so in terms of Wales, um, you know, the, the big headlines are still things that affect most people. Um, it's the, the inflation, um, you know, Prime Minister set himself what some people see 
uh, a challenging target of halving inflation by the end of the year. That is that is, if we're honest, that's probably the biggest thing that's affecting most people's lives at the moment because the thing that eats away um, our, our pay packets um, all the time. Um, seeking to grow the economy, you know, we, we're still the fastest growing economy, despite how sluggish it feels and has been. We're the fastest growing economy in G7, still faster than uh, France and Germany, and Italy and Japan. And people who uh, tried to ride where the UK is with Western um, Western democracies have been struggling with their economies for uh, for a number of years now. So I guess it's trying to remind people, no matter what is being said, that there is some... Um, there's some good news out there that inflation is coming down pretty dramatically. The economy uh, is growing. Um, and those things are probably the two things that affect most people in Wales uh, the most. Well, one of the largest announcements at uh, the conference a couple of weeks ago was obviously the cancellation of the northern leg of, of HS2. Well, one of the very... Was that... Was that, was that sorry, was it, did, that, did that happen to you, Matt? <laughs> I don't know. I've not been playing. You know, not... <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember that being a thing during the conference at all. Uh, um, but obviously, that was one area where there have been some level of policy disagreements between the UK and Welsh Conservatives in, in the fact that you did think that Wales, in some way or another, was owed Barnet consequentials out of, out of HS2. Do you think that the cancellation of that northern leg makes that argument even stronger? And again, although I acknowledge that the Welsh Conservative policy was never to give the money straight to Welsh government. Do you think that we do need now to see more UK government in, in investment in Welsh transport infrastructure as a consequence? Yeah, um, so yeah, um, joking aside, the HS2 series of announcements uh, over recent weeks was an interesting uh, way to um, to come to a conclusion, I, I guess. It was interesting during the conference. It was probably the thing I was asked most uh, during any interviews was what's happened with HS2. But as you said, as Welsh Conservatives, um, we've consistently said right from the very beginning that actually there should be these Barnet consequentials, as as you acknowledged. Um, I think it does make the case even stronger um, that those consequentials should come through. Of course, on the other hand, we are seeing a commitment to around a billion pounds um, into North Wales in my patch, which I'm uh, very, very pleased to, to hear the uh, Prime Minister um, say. Is that enough? I'd be always welcome to see UK government investing more money uh, into Wales to improve our public transport networks. We've seen, I think, last week, you know, TFW, Transport for Wales, having the, the poorest customer satisfaction of all rail networks in, in the UK. We do need investment here. Welsh government probably need a helping hand. It's, it seems like, again, a weird question. It's a question that you always find journalists asking politicians and party members of of, of how well their respective political conferences. Um, and, you know, everyone was, was speaking very, very positively about the Labour Party conference in terms of its atmosphere. I've been to Conservative Party conferences in the past that have had a, a good buzz. Um, was there an air of optimism uh, about this recent Conservative Party conference, Sam, or was there a, a feeling that there was still quite a lot of work to do in terms of conveying the Conservative message to people? I, I came away from... I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm a proper toe in the party line here, honestly. <laughs> but I, came, I genuinely came away feeling much more positive than I, than I expected. Um, and it was just good to be together uh, in a room bringing up some of these 
the issues we're talking about um so far um it was more positive than I expected. I I can understand we've you know party now have been in power for for thirteen years. But what we do have you know a prime minister who has a very clear plan, which is something we can all get around and and support. Um, it's been a tough few years. Let's not you know let's not um try to say anything other than that. It has been a real tough few years. COVID was a difficult time for any uh, party in, in government, um but. I've been really impressed that we say so the Prime Minister had a clear plan um for um the next few years ahead. And um I think people in the Conservative Party are really uh, behind that. So there was there was a by-election in Scotland recently, and I don't think anyone was expecting the Conservatives to win that one, you know. But there there has been some good news for uh, Scottish Conservatives with former SNP uh, MP defecting to the Scottish Conservatives. And she claimed that the independence campaigns had become uh, divisive. You know, what is your, obviously you're a proud unionist, but what is your assessment of the strengths of the various uh, independence campaigns? Do you think that we have sort of almost gone past that being sort of the issue in places like Scotland? I mean, I, you could argue it's never been the issue in Wales, but you could certainly say there's been a, a growing strength and feeling towards those campaigns. Do you think we've almost gone past that point, you know, back to a sort of more people being more comfortable in the union um so the smp point first of all i mean they've i'm not sure what words to use to describe what's happened up there but they've had absolute disaster and all their own making which is an interesting lesson for any political party I, I guess um you if you create something bad of your own making then you're in real trouble um at least with external forces you can have some defense against it once you own lot then um, yeah, you, you're pretty stuffed, aren't you? And yeah, the I can, the independence debate in Scotland has been pretty toxic for for quite a long time. I, I suspect it's been difficult for people in that part of the world to to bring in nuanced debates and to have some sensible discussion because it becomes all very much either completely in or completely out, rather than having a sensible discussion about what what might be better for the the future. So. Yeah, a huge sympathy for, for anyone getting caught up in, in that. And it sounds like to me an SNP in particular as well, there's just been some real bad culture in there. And we have seen some real bad reports come through from um, cultural implied Cymru in recent times. I'm not linking the two together at all and the, the different issues there. But again, for any political party trying to deal with culture internally, it's it's, it's important to deal with um, quickly and, and properly. Independence in Wales... Um, there's certainly a vocal uh, group of people. I, I get some wonderful messages uh, from uh, from on social media telling me how how much they like me. Um, I, I I should probably uh, not not bother reading them um, half of them. And there's, going back to that toxic point, if I it's interesting on social media actually the the worst, the nastiest, um, the most vile stuff it doesn't come from people on on the, on the left of of politics. It comes from people on the nationalist or you. As in the opposite to the unionist um, campaign, and that's that's the telling uh, point. Um, I think when people are going so low in terms of the language and uh, the level of debate, to me that doesn't seem like a um, grown-up way of of dealing with what's important to people in front of us. Um, are we beyond independence debate in Wales? I, I guess there'll always be people who want to have those discussions. 
but would be really helpful if people have those discussions in a sensible way that isn't violent, looking to uh, um, create um, more division. The challenge that's been levelled at unionists in Wales for, for a couple of years is that there's been almost a failure to make a positive case for the union. But obviously speaking to you and other Conservative colleagues, you see lots of benefits from the union. Of course you do. But do you think that there's perhaps been a failure on your, not your part particularly, but on the part of the unionist campaigns to, to make that positive case as often or as strongly as you could have otherwise? Um, perhaps, personally... I haven't heard that level of criticism that you're describing. The, the clearest, most obvious thing we, we should be talking about is the, the economic benefit um, of, of being together. I, I think part of the issue is we don't, when we talk about the economy, it sounds like a, a thing that's out there somewhere doing something that nobody really kind of grasps hold of, but it's absolutely fundamental to everything that we do and see and are in terms of how we live our lives and then how public services can respond off the off the back of all that um so that's probably the bit that we're, we're probably not doing well enough is describing the importance of a strong economy that businesses can flourish in so that people can um, support their families and then we can receive the great public services at the moment i'll, I'll make this point again because you wouldn't expect nothing less from a conservative <laughs> You know, for every pound spent in England, Wales receives one one pound twenty in Barnet consequentials to to fund those services that we desperately need. And the economy, you know, London and the southeast is is currently, you know, supporting the UK as a whole uh, massively. Um, without that booming economy, it would be a sticky situation in Wales. So you are the representative, one of the four representatives for, for North Wales. How have you found the challenge of representing such a vast area, you know, from from Unismorn to in rural areas to uh, much more urban areas in the northeast? How do you sort of find that balance? It can be really tricky sometimes. I've counted it, first of all, a massive privilege, though, um, because of born in Bangor, I brought up in Penagroyce to the side of Carnarvon, I'm sort of furthest west of my region at the moment, uh, actually now. Um, and now my office and my family, we live in Abigella, right in the middle of, of North Wales. So I just love the fact that I'm able to represent a part of the world. I was born, brought up, educated, worked from, bringing my own family up in now. It's I, There's nothing better than that, surely. Um, but in terms of the, the challenge of the geography, um, that's one thing, of course, just practically getting across the patch you're talking two hours from from one side to the other and then it's an interesting phasing of culture um and um yeah culture across the across north wales from the uh, the border with um england um right on the on the east of wrexham flintshire and then in the middle of Conway, Denbyshire, it's kind of a mix of of of, of all worlds and then to the west of Gwynedd and anglesey um it's um, certainly much more Welsh language uh, centric culture um, and that, that's more of the challenge I guess is understanding how to do my job as an elected member across that span of, of culture and expectation. I, I imagine uh, one of the major things filling up your post bag pretty much every uh, day and you've alluded to it already is Betty Cadwallader there it's a major challenge facing uh, North Wales, and again, you you talked about the issues with reform previously. But do you think that the all of these problems and challenges can be faced by simply reforming the health board? Do you think it's 
simply changing chief execs or changing the, uh, those who are in charge of the health board. How do you untangle this very complicated web that's been formed with all the many problems facing the health board, Sam? I think that's a really helpful description, first of all. Um, it's a, a tangled web. Um, there's not only one lever to be pulled that's going to um, sort things out. Um, it's never going to be absolute perfection um, because um, we have human beings running things and sadly as humans we, we don't always get everything right but it could and should be a whole lot better than it is um, today. I think there's a few issues to think about. There's been a culture of dishonesty is incorrect but it's certainly not always been transparent with the truth is probably the nicest way I can put it. There's been a fear of reporting up when there's been um, lessons to be learned and uh, concerns in parts of the of the health board. So that's meant the board who are making decisions, those people around that table have not been given the information accurately to make the right decisions for the residents that I uh, represent. Culture is one of the hardest things to change, but there's a, an old adage uh, which says that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So you can put all the strategies you want in place uh, and make all the personnel change. If you don't change culture, then it, it, nothing's going to change in there. I think, to be fair, um, those points have been taken on board um, by the current interim chief executive and chairman. I think the part of the challenge at the moment is that there's a, a, a vicious cycle in place because it's a failed health board, not failing, it's failed, a failed health board. It's hard to attract really good people into those positions uh, because who wants to uh, work in a failed health board in special measures for years and years and years? So then trying to attract good people is difficult. So perhaps you have people who aren't as good. And is that going to improve things? It's hard to make that change when it's hard to attract those people. And so that's the first thing I guess about culture is the thing that needs to shift. But there are some practices as well that really could make a difference. There's a huge reliance on on agency staff, on locum um, staff, and that could back to personal responsibility. So when you're employed somewhere and you're seeing those patients today, but you're also going to see them tomorrow, you will make sure that the service that you are receiving is is much better than if you're just in for one day and you're never going to see those patients ever again. Um, so there's a, some practical points that need uh, solving there. And probably the third third point within all of that is actually around the training which Welsh government are looking to address with a, a medical school up in Bangor for example what's happened for years is that people reach a certain level in the training and have to come out to Cardiff and got a young family or something you don't really want to keep relocated up and down so there, there's some practical changes that happen there as well but all in all it's, it's just a real sad situation for you know, the residents that I, I represent and for the staff, you know, it's 19,000 members of staff in Betsy Cadwell. It's the largest employer in North Wales. And it must be really demoralising at times for those staff who are there day in and day out. I've got to declare an interest. Sorry, my, my sister is a nurse um, in Betsy. <laughs> i put on a record. And a fantastic nurse, of course. Um, but I would, I would expect it may be difficult for those on the front line, like nurses, but not just nurses and doctors, but the admin teams and everyone else who's involved. So it's trying to break that cycle is what needs to happen there. I mean, obviously the news that we've seen that A&E waiting times have been misreported and you know, hundreds if not thousands of hours have gone missing essentially from the amount of times that people have been waiting. What, what is your assessment of that news and 
how does this sort of thing happen? Is it is it just a simple clerical error or is it that fear of reporting and accountability perhaps? Yeah, so I, I, I don't know exactly uh, why that's why that's happened, but one thing I do know is that in my short time in the Senate so far, there's almost been a um a disbelief when Senate members like myself have stood up in the chamber and explained to the minister what we're seeing and what my residents have come to me about. It's all almost dismissed as oh, it must be a one-off or you're not seeing the bigger picture. And I hate to say I told you so. Uh, but these examples exactly paint the picture that we're we're seeing on the ground and raised with the minister directly in the um, in the chamber. And as time, I, I've been here two years, but talking to colleagues who've been here longer, they they see it comes their inbox. Right? Mental health was an example leading up to a special measures in twenty fifteen. You know, they saw an inbox time and time again issues coming through. They'd warn the minister that there's a there's a problem here, there's a problem here, and they'll get dismissed, dismissed, dismissed until a formal report comes out and says there's a problem. And while I think there's a slight, not a slight, there is a problem, I think, in Welsh government culture of not listening respectfully when concerns are raised. I'm not talking about 20 miles per hour just yet, I know. But <laughs> there's another example there where there seems to be genuine concerns from people and just those concerns being dismissed. And that culture within health has been prevalent for quite a while, it seems, when members of the Senate who have been elected in their own right, receiving that information from patients and residents' constituents, raising with, with ministers, they are, it's like a suspicion, or it must be a, a political conspiracy that you say these things when, when we're wanting to get what's right for our residents. Um, so, sorry, on the question about the A&E numbers, um, honestly, I, I don't know what the underlying issue has been there, but the truth that's come out today reflects what we've been saying and and, and seeing um, on the ground. So to me, it's no surprise. Um, it actually makes more sense today because it's actually what we've been saying for a long time. I've had personal experience of myself, for example, in A&E uh, for I'll say 13 hours um, without being seen overnight. And there's just some systematic issues, I think, that need to get sorted out. And going back into something you said there, uh, Sam, about, you know, the, the Welsh government listen. I mean, obviously you're the chair of the CPG for tourism, so this is a well-reversed argument for you. But obviously there was a, it was a huge uh, Welsh government consultation relating to the tourism tax that essentially the Welsh government was saying, well, we've listened or, we, or we've, we've reached out to people, but we're <laughs> yeah. not necessarily going to listen. Do you think that is sort of just synonymous with how the Welsh government conduct their their consultation exercises or their listening exercises they're sort of doing it because they have to rather than because they're in any way genuinely interested about what the people of wales have got to say yeah and we might get into 20 mile an hour afterwards on there when nah, we're talking nah. about that case. yeah i think it's a um the way i see it is sometimes it can feel very arrogant um and conservatives we get accused at times of a right to rule attitude but in wales it does feel like labor have that attitude of a right to rule and they've been in power for nearly 25 years in this place. So you could argue uh, there's a reason why they've developed the attitude of a, a right to rule. Um, it's not healthy for democracy. Um, it's really not healthy in terms of the relationship that government has with the third sector and um, other and public bodies as well, um, because you very rarely hear criticism from the third set or public bodies about the Welsh government um, because 
they've been in that position of power uh, for so long. Even if privately behind the scenes there is criticism, there's probably um, a fear at times of openly criticising government that they rely on for their future funding. It's not healthy. It's not good. Um, and we, we see evidence of that arrogance coming through on things like consultations. The other place I saw on tourism actually was the, the change to 182 days for, um, sorry for the technical issue, this apologies, but you're talking way, to the right crowd. Uh, for people here. <laughs> the way, the way in which a definition of a second home, um, is, is, is given, um, whereas the sector were more than happy to move from whether we're originally at 70 nights of, um, overnight, um, stays, so we'll have to move up to something around 105 days. Um, I think it's like 97% of the consultees opposed the 182 nights that um, Welsh Government wanted. But Welsh Government, okay, that's really interesting. Thank you very much. We're going to do it anyway. I don't think it's good. But again, again, this goes back to obviously being a, a member for North Wales, probably the region I think they've got the most signatures on that very well-publicised um, 20 mile an hour petition. It does seem strange, you know, that that... That petition with, with nearly well, it ended up with nearly half a million signatures. It was definitely by a, by a long, long way the most uh, signed petition in the history of the Senate. But I mean, what's your experience on the ground talking to uh, you know other members of the Senate? Whether those kind of conversations you're having with members and ministers in in the corridor, do they do you get the impression that there is a an appreciation that this is deeply unpopular, or do you think the Welsh and the Welsh government might do something about it, or do you think they're just going to, well, drive on regardless? Is probably a bad pun for the situation, but I think you get what I mean. Drive on slowly, uh, regardless. <laughs> I think that's the, uh, the point, isn't it? Um, I get the impression that nothing will will change from a Welsh government point of view. Um, they've got their position, they hold on to position. They may be looked to be seen to be tweaking things here and there. Fundamentally, they think they're right. Um, and they may be right on a bunch of things with it. Um, but clearly the way it's been communicated and the way it's landed with people, uh, people feel aggrieved. And they've tried to figure out what's the best way of expressing that um, frustration. It's, it's via a, a petitions um, system that we have in place. And you're right on the, the volume it's really, really significant. But in terms of Welsh government um, acceptance of that, it's been dismissed for all sorts of reasons. And the minister in particular, his approach is, he literally say these words, they will learn to like this. They will get this in the end. And it's pretty condescending stuff, considering as politicians, we're the ones who have been elected by the people to be here. Now, what I found really interesting about the 20 miles per hour stuff it's actually it's woken people up to the fact that decisions are made in this centre that affects um, people's lives day to day. There's far too many people, sadly, who don't understand or even have a view as to what the centre does. Um, at least 20 miles per hour stuff has raised awareness in people that um, it makes decisions that can be pretty significant from time to time. This is, again, I think this... this um, I think the public's awareness of the centre and the Welsh Parliament grew massively during... COVID because it had a direct impact on people's lives and how it, how they lived their lives. And and now again, with, with 20 mile an hour, but there did seem to be a dip in the middle where public attention of what was going on in, in Cardiff Bay sort of dipped away from a bit. And I think it's a very interesting question, isn't it? How do we improve engagement with, with Welsh democracy unless it's just 
you know, not not saying either way, but in these sort of massive life changing policies, you know, how do we get people more engaged when it's not something as as massively newsworthy as twenty mile an hour or you know a once in a lifetime pandemic? Yeah, I think we as political parties have responsibility here as well um, in in making sure that we get a message out to our party members um, and and uh, constituents generally um, as well. Obviously, Labour, Liberals, and uh, and Conservatives, there is a huge attention on UK elections, and understandably so. And time and energy goes into those um, is massive. So I guess there's a responsibility on us to get a message out um, to people. Um, but it can come to a connection between put my X in a box and what difference that really makes. That's one of my concerns, genuine concerns, not just with, you know, playing politics here. One of my genuine concerns about um, reform of this place is that it's more difficult to make the connection between putting your X in a box on a proportional representation basis, it's harder to see that connection between the person you're electing. So for me as a regional member, I think it's quite difficult for a lot of people in my region to know how they affect um, whether I'm voted in or not as a Conservative regional member. I think if we're really honest about it, most people will not have a clue. Uh, whereas at least for all the problems of first past the post, there's a direct connection there's that accountability, that connection between putting your X in a box and making the change in the place that makes decisions. So it's one of my genuine worries about, yeah, setting the reform around the corner. You spent a large amount of time uh, in the last uh, 12 months or so working on your proposed outdoor education bill. Yes. For those who don't know, would you be able to sort of explain the aims of that, of that legislation and sort of outline some of the support and opposition you've faced to it? Of course, it's been nothing but support. Um, it's oh. such a good, such a good bill. Oh no, of course, yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the bill itself uh, is basically seeking to ensure that every child, at some point in their schooling in Wales, gets the opportunity uh, to go away for uh, four nights of residential outdoor education. Um, so, for for people in my part of the world, it's going to places like Glanflin. Um, or other sort of um, outdoor residential places and usually happens in year six, um, end of primary, going to secondary, but doesn't have to happen then. Um, basically, what, what I've, what's become, become apparent is that it's either become very expensive for people um, to have this trip. So my daughter's currently actually uh, away at the moment uh, on, on her trip, my um, my middle daughter, who is how old is she? Nine years old. <laughs> and uh, sorry, her birthday last week. I had to catch up. Uh, so she, she's uh, nine years old, um, and that's you know two hundred forty pounds for two nights. So it's not it's not a small amount of money uh, for my daughter to go uh, along to that. And for many people, that becomes uh, unaffordable um, very quickly. Um, so this basically seeks for um, government to put. In, to, to consider it alongside the curriculum, it's, I think it's such an important part of a child's experience to have that time where the classmates have those outdoor adventurous experiences where there's, there's a bit of risk, you know, there's a bit of, um, can we do it so safely uh, at times where I do, well, there's lots of evidence that shows actually it's not necessarily great for, for children growing up in terms of building resilience. So the bill will seek to guarantee the opportunity. It's not forcing children to go on that, it's presenting the opportunity and that'll be a paid for opportunity um, 
for all children in Wales. And the outcomes you'd want to see is certainly uh, lots of evidence to show as long-term physical health benefits, long-term mental health benefits, because people suddenly engage with the outdoors and more confident in access in the outdoors. And there's some great evidence around um, connections with the environment, talk about climate change and appreciating um, the great spaces we have um, actually uh, builds that understanding of the impact of climate change on our environment. So I think that's about the summarise I can give it. Um, been working on it for over a year now, as you say. It's, the draft bill will be laid in a parliament um, at the end of November, so not, not too far away now. Wonderful. So, I mean, the, the only sort of opposition that most backbenchers ever face to their bills of this kind is from the Welsh government themselves. And do you think that's because they have any opposition to the, the policy itself, or is that just, again... Welsh government backing, um, well, failing to back any bill that isn't their idea. Yeah, I think so. So formally, um, when the government, uh, when the government minister, Sir Jeremy Miles, spoke to the bill um, last October, he was very supportive of the principle and liked the idea and talked about the benefits of outdoor education. Gets it all. It will require funding, um, and that was his concern. I guess it remains his concern because Welsh government have a a, um, a deficit in a budget at the moment, so they're they're trying to find things not to fund, let alone things to fund in the future. But there, there is a, it's a good point, actually, around how government views members' bills. It goes back to this, perhaps, arrogance that can be seen at times of, we know best, um, you don't. Um, I think, if I recall rightly, forgive me wrong here, I think there's only two members' bills I've ever got through the Senate. And the first was Anne Jones's um, Sprinklers. Sprinklers. So part of uh, the the government party at the time, and then was it Kirsty Williams's um, paid staffing? Yeah, yeah, um, paid staffing. Uh, minimum staffing on on nurse on nurses on uh, on ward, isn't it? So I think what, nearly twenty five years of a, of a of a of some sort of a parliament or assembly in place. Um, only two members' bills going through. It's not great for democracy. I don't think that. Um, I would prefer an approach which is much more coming alongside, understanding how they can't be fully supported, what like the idea, I want to try and develop the idea. Um, but I guess Labour government have been able to govern for that, that long and held a tight grip of things for a reason. Uh, Sam, thank you for coming on. I've got a couple more questions before you go. So before you worked in politics, you were a, a risk manager. What would you perceive as the big risks yeah. and opportunities facing Wales in the next 12 months? Yeah, so I was a risk manager for a, for a bank, uh, credit risk in particular. So that was a that was fun for about ten years. <laughs> um, but on um, risks facing um, risks facing Welsh politics, did you say? Sorry, oh, Wales. What do you think? Wales. Yeah. Crikey. Um, hmm, the risk facing Wales. Um, biggest risk, actually, I think, is going back to this point around the economy. Um, it, as I say, not that not being taken seriously. I think there's. It's an interesting thought here, perhaps not to be explored today, but I'm trying to figure out why it's not on the agenda properly with Welsh Government. I think it's because there's no direct consequence to Welsh Government's funding if the economy does really well or the economy does really badly in Wales, because I still get the same Barnet consequential from UK Treasury. So anybody listening has a great solution for that. I'll be interested without devolving the Treasury, of course. <laughs> um, but there's got to be an incentive to Welsh Government, perhaps, to drive the economy because at the moment um like with our favorite friend the 20 miles per hour thing is in their own numbers going to impact 
the productivity of Wales, but to Welsh government, does that really matter to a certain extent? Because I still receive the same um, consequentials anyway. So me and you, Sam, have talked in the past about our shared loves, uh, which are guitars and uh, country music. Yes. With that last question in mind, <laughs> if you had to describe the prospects of Wales uh, and the UK in the next 12 months with a song, which one would you pick? It was a country song. I think there's a, um, there's a song I've heard in last week or so, which I think is called Hold My Beer. Um, <laughs> so I think that some things up uh, the political roller coaster we might face over the next 12 or 14 months. Sam, Sam Rowlands, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Cheers, Matt. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.